Well, good morning, well, good morning, Southwesterners. It's such a joy uh, to be here with you, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Acts. We'll be in the book of Acts this morning, uh, chapter 11. And I want to, as you turn there, I want to thank Dr. Patterson and um, in the office uh, just for helping me to get here and giving me the opportunity to share the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, this place has such a, a special place in my heart. Um, as I came on campus uh, yesterday, just uh, flooded back a lot of emotions, a range of emotions for me and uh, my family. And, uh, and so I just appreciate so much the professors uh, that have invested in my life, um, many that I have no idea the amount of minutes and hours of prayer that you put in for me as a student. And uh, so I want to say thank you uh, for allowing me to um, be equipped here and uh, the work that God is doing um, through my life as well as through uh, this seminary. And I've been keeping up with you uh, since I have left, and so I know Dr. Patterson said he was upset with me, so I thought I would go ahead and set, it, set the record straight uh, so he wouldn't be upset with me, with me any longer. I have not uh, finished my recruiting, even though I'm not employed by Southwestern anymore, I still continue to recruit. And so if a check just shows up at, at, you know, at the church, I'll be excited for each student that, that comes. Uh, and so... Uh, once a recruiter, always a recruiter. And so um, we have several wonderful young uh, people in our church, as well as, as old people that, uh, that are older brothers and sisters that um, I've encouraged to come here. And we actually have one that's uh, taking classes now. And so I will get together with you uh, once we finish here uh, about that. Um, uh, also, I've been watching uh, by social media, and I see that the Welcome Week is still alive and well, and that um, the churches still come out and, and meet with students and give them an opportunity to find a place where they can uh, serve as they learn and, and put into practice the things that uh, are being poured into them in their class. And then I, I saw another picture of this, this cage and dodgeball, and I thought, man, they are still getting after it playing dodgeball. And so I, I wanted to know, are the professors still playing dodgeball? Are y'all still getting in the cage with the students? Did y'all get in there this, this year? Because I can't think, you, you didn't get in there? Okay. I can't think of a better way. You know, I noticed that the dodgeball game is always at the welcome week, but I think it'd be a good thing to put it at the end of the semester. <laughs> at, at, at the end of the semester. Whenever the students have gotten on your last nerve, professors turning in papers late, and you just want to fling as, as hard as you can a dodgeball, and maybe you didn't get the grades you wanted, and you can get in there with sanctified love and have a good time <laughs> in there and throw at each other. And so I, you know, I thought that that might be a change that we could enact uh, to our welcome week. I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, being able to see the campus and being able to see all the growth that has happened. Uh, I stepped foot here uh, on this campus. It'll be seven years on October 31st since I first put my uh, soles of my feet on this campus, and it's just been marvelous to see. Um, being in the library yesterday, seeing the students sit in there and the quietness and reflecting and studying God's Word just reminds me of the special nature of this place and thinking about how the Lord worked in my life and in my marriage and how he's given me friends that are still friends uh, to this day. And so students, I want to encourage you that, uh, to, to engage and to deeply invest in one another and allow these men and women to invest in your lives uh, because they are preparing you for battle. 
Um, what most people don't understand is that we are in a war. Uh, that's the only reason why I think you would wear armor. And a whole, a whole section in Scripture designated for that. And so they're not just loving you, encouraging you. They're doing those things. But they're preparing you for war. And uh, one of the things that I remember about my time here was just how good God was to me and my family. And I want to share this verse. This is just my introduction, but I just want to share 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 9. It's going to come on the screen because one thing that I noticed uh, throughout my time here was that God was so faithful um, in the midst of everything that uh, was happening, uh, bringing us from Jonesboro, Arkansas, um, bringing uh, us to this place, getting us a job, taking care of my family, taking care of my wife, and God remained faithful, and he continues to remain faithful to this day. And so I want to encourage you with that, um, that good bit of, of scripture. First Corinthians chapter one, verse nine is the verse that we adopted as our family verse when we were here. And it just says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you struggle with that and you don't remember things get tough, you go to this verse because I'm telling you, uh, God does not change. The Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is faithful and he'll be faithful in your time. I'm here. Uh, this morning, I want us to look at a passage of scripture uh, in the book of Acts, because as I've been in the ministry and as I've had an opportunity to serve in many capacities, um, I get the question um, a lot about what, what advice would you give uh, to someone that is in the seat that you once sat? What would you share uh, with the students? What would you share with the student body? What would you share with someone who is getting ready to go on the mission field or going into the pastorate? And so I just want to take some time to speak from that um, with you this morning. And the title of this message is called, I've Been Looking for a Church. Now, the, see, the way I would say it back home is I've been looking for a church. You see, when I moved back to Jonesboro, um, and I began to share with people about the call and the nature of the, that God had, had put in my heart and the, what, what I believe he was calling me to do. I would run to people and they would always say, I've been looking for a church. And I would think, I mean, they're on every corner. You're in the buckle of the Bible belt, right? And so I recognized what they were saying, though. They were looking for a church, a specific type of church with a specific DNA a specific call to missions and evangelism at the heartbeat of, of what the church, the core foundation of what it is. And so in this passage, looking at the, the church in Antioch, we find, I believe, a beautiful expression of the threefold ministry of not just our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but also the disciples, those that would carry the mantle. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want to encourage you that in your time of study here, this is not just about uh, amassing books. It's not just about uh, having the best looking library. And when you walk in, man, all your shelves are full. It's not just about having the diploma on the wall, but it's about what you take and from your time here and how you will implement it in the everyday ministry that the Lord gives to you. And so as we look at this, I, I believe that there are three areas, three main ways in which we can break down this passage this morning. We see this church being engaged in evangelism. We, just, we see this church not just uh, seeing converts, but they were serious about training. And so they were engaged in discipleship. And then lastly, we see that they had a love for people, for the social needs, for the struggle. And so as we work our way through our passage this morning, that's going to be the theme, the way in which we move through it. You see, I love the book of Acts. Uh, Dr. Luke, the human instrument that the Lord used, is a very methodical individual. 
And as God used and impressed in him the, the word of God and used his unique uh, giftings and skill set, we see the book of Acts unfold just like the commission that Christ told them, you will be, uh, you'll be my witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so the book of Acts, it lays out that same way. And so in our passage, we find ourselves in the ends of the earth section of the book of Acts, where the gospel went from this ragtag group of folks in a prayer meeting upstairs to moving to the, the corners of the world so that now we would be the recipients of the gospel and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage this morning, the first thing we're going to see is that they were a church that was engaged in personal evangelism. Look with me in verse 19. Verse 19 lays out the fact that a great work had been done, but there was great persecution and struggle. In verse 19, it says, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, to Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. A large number who believed turned to the Lord. We see here that the persecution had gotten so, so strong that for the Lord's mission to begin to happen, he had to get us out of our comfort zone. You know, it's, it's easy to get comfortable and be around people that you like and you love. And so in the midst of persecution, the Lord spreads the seeds of the gospel out and we see it move and we see it move out. So much so now it's moved up to the north country, up into Antioch. And you see now, when you think about Antioch, a lot of times we recognize that the church in Antioch, that was a church, right? That was a church of the Lord that was serious about missions, but we forget about the place in which it was found. Antioch was a very wicked place. Antioch in, in its day was about a half a million people, population, a third largest in the Roman Empire. It's so wicked that it began to influence even the lifestyles of Rome. Let me just tell you, I can't think of a better place for a church to be. I can't think of a better place for a church to be than in a hub and a center, a den of wickedness where the light of Jesus Christ can shine and transform hearts and minds. And we see that's exactly what it does. You see, we see from Stephen's death three, three main movements. Number one, we see the gospel go into Samaria. Then we see it increase the persecution that Paul, uh, the, the apostle, he, he begins to really persecute the church and then the Lord saves him. And then it also moves the Christians outside of their comfort zone into regions that they would never have explored. You see, in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we recognize and we see that this scattering, this scattering, it drove them out of their homes. It drove them out of, out of their homes. Many times, whenever the gospel moves, it moves because of pressure, because of difficulty. You see, one of the things I've learned in the ministry is that many times my disappointments are God's divine appointments. When things don't go the way in which I would love for them to go, uh, Dr. Patterson, when, when things don't go the way in which I want them to go, many times God is setting up a way, an opportunity for the gospel message to be proclaimed. Let me, let me just give you one instance. Uh, imagine with me this year, uh, Easter Sunday. And now every Sunday is a, a very important Sunday because it's an opportunity to preach the gospel and have a great time. But Easter Sunday is the, the Sunday, right? That, that's when we stand and show the world, like, you see our Savior? He is triumphant. Don't, don't forget it. That, that's, that, that, that's the day in which we celebrate that. Yeah. 
And so I'm at the church early, trying to get focused in for the, the moment. And uh, my wife pulls up and she comes into the building. And I can see her demeanor that something was wrong. And I walk up to her and I was like, you know, what's, what's wrong, man? And she was like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> so I know it's Easter Sunday and I, I just, I don't want to tell you what's, what's wrong. And I was like, no, no, I'm already here to you know, tell me what's going on. And she said, all right. So I was getting the kids together and we were in a rush trying to get to here. And I backed the van into the garage door and I tore off the top of the van. Like, well, you know, happy resurrection day to you, too. I mean, that's the thought that I came. I'm mean, like, you know, wow. You know, I had a, I had a way to start a service. I was like, you know, no problems. No, no problems. You know, it's going to be okay. Just, you know, stay focused. Preach. Have a wonderful service. And so I finished service. I get to go outside and see the top spoiler part of the van ripped off. I'm like, what happened? I mean, we've been, the, we, the garage moved at the same pace every time. I'm like, what happened? You know, what happened? And so she was like, I'm just in a rush, right? And so I just thought, you know what, Lord, we, I know you got a plan. And so I call uh, the, the dealership, get the piece, and they want to charge me an arm and a leg. And so I figured out I needed to have another way uh, to get this thing put back on. And so I, I asked one of my friends, and he said, yeah, I've got a guy that I use, and uh, he'll probably, you know, take care of you. And I thought, okay, let's call him. So I called up the gentleman. He was like, yeah, that won't be, that won't be a problem. And so I go. And I pull up to the shop, and I get out, and I begin to share with this gentleman. And he's putting the piece on, and it's starting to click in my mind why in the world the Lord uh, wanted my wife to run into the garage to tear up the van. And, and I did have a conversation, like, Lord, I could have, you know, you just could have told me to go see the man out without tearing the car up, you know? <laughs> but as, I, as, as, as I'm sharing with him, we begin to go through the questions, you know, what do you do for a living? I began to share, you know, my life as a pastor and it comes to find out that my grandfather and, and he are good friends and he doesn't know the Lord. And so as I began to share with him and share the, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done, he finishes up putting the piece on our van and we go inside his office. And I just leveled up with him and I said, you know, the good news about Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, and he is going to return. Now, the question is, what are you going to do about it? Would you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You see, it hadn't been a gospel presentation until you give a person an opportunity to respond. And so, so as he responds, as he is, is, is wrestling through, he says, yes. And I'll tell you one of the most the beautiful sound. I love the singing, but hearing a sinner pray to Jesus Christ for his soul to be eternally saved and his destiny to be reshaped is one of the best sounds I know in this world. And so it became very evident very evident that in my disappointment, the van broke down, money coming out of the bank, arm and leg gone, all, all those things that God had a plan. You see, in the church, what we see here is they were going through a very hard time. The text lets us know very clearly that they had been separated out, that they were, they were away from their home. They had been going through a very hard time. But you see, there were men. And I love that the text doesn't share their names. It just says there were men, men that shared, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. In verse 20 says, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene. 
So we have folks coming in from an island right off the coast there and from North Africa, and they're talking to Greeks. And hear me, the thing about the gospel, we've already shared it, is it is reconciliation. Uh, human beings, the human race, we will never be reconciled to each other until we're first reconciled to God. You see, our gospel, the gospel that we share, has a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. It has a vertical beam in reconciling us and bringing us to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but it also has a horizontal beam because it can bring no, no matter your tribe, no matter your, your language, it can bring you together. And so that's what they do. They begin to uh, preach the gospel because, see, Christ had radically transformed their lives. And this is what I know. Old preacher saying, what's down in the well going to come up in the bucket. You see, when you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the relationship with the Lord in your heart, in your, in your, this, in your life, what's down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. And you see, as they moved, as they moved, as the pressure of life hit, what squeezed out of them? was the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you see, what I love about them, they, they remind me of toothpaste, and I hope you never look at toothpaste the same way again. Whenever you squeeze the thing, it comes out, and you have to apply it to the grit in the ground. You see, it's no good in the tube. You see, as you squeeze it, as the pressure comes out and is applied to your teeth, the plaque and everything breaks down, you see, they recognize as pressure, the pressures of life squeezed them, the gospel came out of them, and they applied it to the souls of these individuals in this wicked, dirty city, in the teeth of Antioch, and it cleaned them up. It cleaned them up, removed the tartar, so that they would have a true life and walk in eternal destiny with Jesus Christ. See, pressure, the gospel. See, they weren't ashamed. They, were, they, they knew that the gospel message was enough no matter your denominational background and no matter what, what race you were, the gospel was enough. Jew or Gentile. In 1 Corinthians 1.24 and 25, it says it very clearly. 1 Corinthians 1.24 and 25, let us know about the wisdom of God, how God works in that, that even though the, the Greeks, they, they want to see the, the, the wisdom side of things. And the Jews, they, hey, show me a sign. Say, look, I got something for you. I got a sign of some wisdom. Jesus Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God is the one. We see in, in their lives that as they went, they preached. You see, that's one of the things I remember about my time here is that we would always say, as you go, preach. Not only was this church engaged in evangelism, but they were serious about discipleship. They were serious about discipleship. In verse 22, look with me in this section. In verse 22, it says, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the church, the, the disciples, were first called Christians in Antioch. We see they were serious, not just about making converts, but they were, were serious about maturing converts. It wasn't just about making them, but they also wanted to mature them. You see, what I know is when you get the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you get a child of God. You see, we get those two together, Spirit of God, Word of God, child of God comes, and then there must be a maturation process. The Lord has blessed me with two beautiful children. My youngest is 11 months. And discipling new believers reminds me a lot of, of raising children. 
I mean, it's, it's amazing that there's a lot of similarities. I'm going to just give you a couple. Uh, my son is growing teeth, and, and he will bite you. That rascal, you try to get something in, he'll bite you, and he'll make a mess. I'm telling you, there, there are days where I'm wondering, did we even get anything in your stomach, son? I mean, there's just food just all around his chair, high chair. Did you get anything in, son? You got to be getting something in because you're 26 pounds in 11 months. I know some hidden, some, some connected. But I'm wondering. I'm wondering. And what I know is that, is that new believers, they bring us joy and beauty just like children, just like newborn children. But they also can be messy. And they can bite you. And thus, you must mature them, walk with them, work with them. It says for a period of a year, they walked, they worked, they taught, they devoted their lives to seeing them grow. The question is, how did they do this thing? What, what was the process in which uh, Barnabas and, and, and Paul did this? Notice what it says in, in terms of how they matured them. Whenever Barnabas got there, verse 23, it says, when he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God. He rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute hearts to remain true to the Lord. You see, he rejoiced. He was willing to give God thanks and joy. He had a good time. He was, he was praising God for what he did. He taught them how to worship, how to praise God, how to understand the grace and the goodness of God. But not just that, he told them, you, you, you serve God with your whole heart, all of who you are. Not one piece unsurrendered to him. You give him everything. And then he said, to cultivate that relationship. You cultivate the relationship. He said, remain true to the Lord. Now, this is what I know. In this discipleship passage, it's not just about the how, but it's also about the who. You see, one of the things I know about the ministry that God has called you to is that he is, he is expecting a certain type of character to be birthed in you as you follow him. You notice the description of what Barnabas is, his, his characteristics. Verse 24, look with me in verse 24. Now, as we look at this together, all I can think about is, is, wouldn't this be awesome if this was all our spiritual profile? As men of God, women of God, if this was our spiritual profile in verse 24, it says, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. You see, when we look at leadership, understand this, they were, they were qualified as well as trained. They were qualified. The character, the character of Barnabas is, is beautiful. The way I like to say it is he was above reproach, meaning in a mudslinging contest, even if he got hit with the mud, it would slide right off of him and wouldn't leave any residue. You see, when we talk about being above reproach as pastors, people will say things about you. The mud will sling. Just if you're not prepared for that, the mud is going to sling. But to be above reproach is not the absence of mud slinging. It's that the fact that if the mud does come and hit you, that it slides right off of you to be above reproach, to be above reproach. You see, one of the things that I've learned as a pastor is that we have two tongues. I know y'all thinking, hold up, that's why you're a pastor and, and not in the medical field, because I, I, anatomy and physiology tell me I only have one tongue. You have two tongues. You have the one in your mouth, and you have the one in your shoe. And might we make sure that the one in the mouth and the one in the shoe line up and move in the same direction as we live lives that are above reproach. You see, my fear is that there are many times where we unsay with our lives what we say with our lips. Might, might, we, might we be like, well, be a good man, man of integrity, men and women of integrity and character. You see, there's no substitute, no substitute for character. 
but also there's no substitute for ability for training. That's why you're here. You see, the way in which he was, had the ability is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the power, the, the effect that, 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 that set fire to the entire ministry. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And now there are many people that ask me, what does that mean? That means he was controlled by the Holy Spirit, meaning he was continually surrendering. It's not that he was getting more of the Holy Spirit because we know he's given to us as an inheritance, right? But he is yielding himself. He was giving more of himself to the Holy Spirit. He is giving more of his mind, his heart, his disposition to the Holy Spirit. He was also a man of faith. I wrote down this definition. I want to share it. And then I'll get to my last point and we'll conclude. Faith. He was a man of faith. Warren Wiersbe defines faith as obeying God in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the feelings within us, and in spite of what's ahead of us. The faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. He was a man of faith. He had resolute faith, trusting the Lord and his word. You see, I want to encourage you as you go throughout your ministry and as you train here, I want you to look for three characteristics in the people that you want to give your life to. You want to look for people that are faithful, people that are available, and people that are teachable. Dr. Howard Hendricks in his book, Teaching to Change Lives, says you want to look for fat people, people that are faithful, available, and teachable so that you'll be able to pour into them the truth. You see, we want to make sure that it's not just about making, um, just not, not just about making a convert, but it's also about maturing. The last thing that I want to share is that we are to engage in social needs. You see, this church was made aware of a situation in which uh, a famine and a hard time was coming. In verse 27, it says, Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be great famine uh, all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in this proportion, that, that any of the disciples had means. Each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. You see the threefold ministry. When we look at our Lord's life, we see him preach the gospel, disciple disciples, and meet social needs with love. We see the church being willing to get down in the midst and in the grind and be able to share. And what I love about this idea of prophecy, when we know about things that are going to happen in the future, it's not so we can, you know, feel like there's something great about us, but it's to cause us to act and to move. You see, whenever they heard about the future, what was coming, it caused them to act and move. You can't pick up the Bible, read the book of Revelation, and that not cause your feet to move because we know what is happening, going to happen in the future. Prophecy, it causes us to act and to move. And we see them being willing to reach out and to share and to meet the needs. You see, there are many opportunities that are going to arise for you in your ministry. Some that you have no idea about. I just want to take a minute to share a couple and then I'm going to pray and we'll go to lunch. You see, in my time in Jonesboro, Arkansas, there have been many opportunities that have come up as a pastor. In the congregation, there'll be a member that's, uh, a, member that's a part of uh, DHS, and that's the Department of Human Services. And they take care of a lot of different things, but foster care is one of the things that they take care of. And their office flooded in our city. 
and just from a small act of kindness and reaching out. And let me just share with you a couple of things that have happened. Uh, now, through the church, foster parents can get continuing education units credit for, for, for having a Bible study and sharing the parenting. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about that uh, with individuals that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Opened up an opportunity. In our county, in our county, all the children in foster care that are going to get Christmas presents over Christmas, they come through our building, their, their, their toys are there, they come in, they get to hear from us, we have a meal for them, we welcome them in. These foster parents, and not all of them are saved, by the way, open up an opportunity. We've seen through block parties and outreach, being able to be in lives that, that are they're homeless in our community. And so whenever we make the connections, uh, teenagers are being given uh, an opportunity to go back to school. We see um, through one parole officer in our church, one parole officer tell us about a, a program where they are moving inmates out, uh, reclamation, they were trying to assimilate them back in where, where the system has failed, they, they are bringing them into a new program. And so we just said, hey, we want to serve you. We would love to have you on a Sunday. We would love to be able to meet some of the needs. And out of that, now there's a Bible study happening in that home every Tuesday. You see, as you meet needs, God begins to open up the doors for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see lives impacted and transformed. Let me just say this. The church of Jesus Christ has many critics, but no rivals. There's no, no entity like the church of Jesus Christ in the world, in all the world. When everybody else is coming out, we're going in. Hear me, the harvest is plentiful, and let's go get all we can get. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the time. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And God, I pray that you will encourage them as they study, that God, you will sow deep seeds of truth in their heart, and that, Lord, you would use them for your glory and for the good of others. Lord, I pray you help these students. Lord, I pray you would help them to be passionate about personal evangelism, that you'd help them be passionate about intentional discipleship, and Lord, if they would look for the opportunities to see where you're working to build bridges in this world. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.